This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. Now, we spoke about planning your perfect tiny bathroom in the first show of this series, and I've been inundated with messages and shares of your favourite cloakrooms, closets, wet rooms and bijou bathrooms. Such an inspiration. But if you're struggling to make yours marvellous, then our sponsor Gebret has a nifty inspiration tool on their website to let you explore products and functions so that you can really get a grip on what's available. They also have a really detailed trend report, which we may both have contributed to, which you can download for free for the lowdown on what the best dressed bathrooms will be wearing this season and beyond. Now, I find the colour scheming the easy bit. The tricky thing about bathrooms is they're often not as big as you want them to be. And there's a lot of fixed furniture and straight lines and, well, concerns around where the plumbing's going to go, access points, creating flow. So my advice is call in the experts. And that is really good advice, especially if you're like me. You know you need a shower tray, but which size and configuration to go for? There are just so many options to choose from. It's completely baffling. And using an in-house expert means that they can deal with all the technical stuff and you can focus on the pretty tiles and paint swatches. Yes, always ask the expert. Call in and visit your local bathroom showroom as many of them offer a free consultation service. Share with them your vision and let them help you Put a plan together that not only maximises the space you have available, but makes your bathroom really work for you and your family. Geberit are Europe's leading bathroom manufacturers and partner with over 250 bathroom retailers across the country. So visit geberit.co.uk and head to the Where to Buy section to locate your local showroom and begin your design journey. 
So, I don't know if you can tell, but we're back in our remote recording zones. I am gently sweating away under the duvet den. Life's just all been a bit unpredictable again in recent weeks, but we've got loads of great and uplifting content lined up for you today. We'll be reviewing some exciting new books on colour, well-being and the world's best contemporary interior designers. We'll also be talking rattan, which has really come back into fashion with the 70s revival. But I want to know, can it be stylish and luxurious too? And finally, in our style surgery, we're talking what to do with a dark hall when your partner says you can't embrace the darkness by painting it even darker. And talking of hallways, Kate, you had a hair-raising experience with the basement beneath your hallway recently. I mean, yes, was a few weeks ago now, but I don't know. Weirdly, I'm going to say, do you remember that torrential rain? I'm in North London. We had three feet of water, which flooded into our basement. I've got friends a mile away, two miles away in different parts of London, didn't even have any rain. So it was very localised. But yes, three feet in the cellar. Every house in our street was flooded to varying degrees. And we ended up, I think the fire brigade turned up at four o'clock in the afternoon. A few hours later, there were four crews there with blue lights flashing and they had to pump out pretty much every house on the street. They were there till 2am. There was lots of cups of tea and biscuits. Oh, well, you did share some pictures on your Instagram stories and I, all I could see was lots of pots of designer paint bobbing around. <laughs> yes, you could see all the little green and, and furrow and ball was floating towards the exit. And actually, the paint is fine because none of the lids came off, but the lawnmower's gone. The emergency electric radiators we keep down there for if the boiler breaks are gone and obviously it's all a bit dirty and soggy and you know to be honest I've just shut the door on it I just I can't not for now (laughs) but I would like to take this opportunity to thank the great indoors podcast Facebook group for all their lovely messages which kept pinging into my inbox you all thank you so much for thinking of me and no damage was done no one was hurt and you know it's all going to be okay we haven't lost anything of major value but thank you so much for all your nice messages and if anyone's got an electric lawnmower they're not using pop it Kate's way yes please So now it's time for the exciting roundup of design books because it's been a right little flurry this year of some real gems hitting the bookshelves. And I always think it's a perfect time of year to indulge in our love of interior design books. I don't know about you, but this time of year, do you know what? I take my foot off the gas a little bit with all the DIY and the decorating. It's time to pour yourself something nice to drink, get out there on the sun lounger and flick through a beautiful design book, ready for inspiration when the autumn hits. So we've got three gorgeous gorgeous books to review. Which one do you want to talk about first, Kate? Well, let's go with Kit Kemp, the hotelier, and her book is called Design Secrets, Adding Character and Style to an Interior to Make It Your Own. And can I just say, I love the dedication, which reads, to all who have suffered in 2020, and especially to those who work in hospitality. Yeah, I think it's worth flagging up, isn't it, that Kit Kemp obviously is a much-loved British interior designer, but also the creative director and co-owner of the Firmdale hotels, which each mark her signature style. And she's got a whole bevy in London. I've I've visited quite a few of them because she's definitely up there as one of my most favourite interior designers. And I suppose she's most famous for her colour 
pattern and celebration of craftsmanship, I'd say, headline. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm interested to know what you thought of the book. I mean, I think it's midway between what you would call a flicker and a reader. So when I started, the first bit is essentially a a portfolio of her work and her hotel rooms. And I felt it read a bit like a shopping list of this is what I used. Although that said, you can, if you like that look, that's a useful way to, to recreate that in your own home. So that's kind of very much the inspiration. And then she goes on to meet the maker, which I thought was a really sort of generous segment of introducing some small businesses and people she worked with. I think this is what's interesting. This is her fourth book. I've got all her books and all the other books are large format big full bleed images and I'd say they're very much flickers. Loads of photography of all, you know, obviously she's got the most enormous database of imagery having designed so many hotels and all those bedrooms. But this is a small format book coming down to more of the sort of A4 size, which seems to be really fashionable at the moment. So you could pop it into your beach bag and take it on holiday or on a weekend break. And like you say, the copy is really magazine style, really broken down, really tidbit, lots of tips, lots of boxes, lots of, there's even some little how-to projects at the back. So I actually really enjoy it for that reason. I found it a hugely insightful and practical book. It's the last third of the book, which I really thought was interesting. I mean, it's essentially a list of do's and don'ts by subject. So do's and don'ts on curtains, on paint, on dressing shelves, hanging art, and another really good section on what she calls found fabric, which I think is very much in Kit Kemp's signature style. You know, if you've just got a little scrap of beautiful material, how you can use it or how you can incorporate it into a scheme. And there was a really good tip in there that if you've only got a bit that's big enough for one stool or an ottoman or something, then, you know, don't stick it in the drawer, use it, but maybe use it with like a perspex tray on top of it so you can protect it and it will last longer, but you still get to use it. So that third of the book for me was absolutely brilliant. There's loads to learn in there and as well all the great pictures from the first bit. However, I wouldn't just rush to the last third of the book because I think the I think the first two thirds were pretty brilliant as well. And for myself as someone who's an interior designer who loves using colour and pattern, I was learning loads from this and I found it really insightful to see how Kit has broken down her design process. For example, there was a page all about dado rails. And I think it's really interesting, obviously, because she's doing hotels and probably big projects. She's obviously putting a lot of the architectural details into a space. So she actually purposely adds dado rails to her bedroom schemes because it allows her to use two different colours next to one another or two different wall finishes or to mix patterns. She, a bit like me, is always looking for opportunity (laughs) to add more colour, more combination, more pattern. And yet again, it's, it's not just a passing comment. There's a whole box listed out of the optimal height for dado rails, where you should space them, what you should use below them, above them, and how the different effects occur. So she really is taking quite a deep dive into unpicking her design process and sharing with us how she creates, which, to be fair, I mean, it's much loved her look, but it is quite complex. There's a lot going on in a Kit Kemp room scheme. I think it's probably very easy to get it wrong and end up with with a hot mess. So this, if you like her style, this book is really valuable because it will show you how to recreate it. And again, you know, obviously, as I said, the beginning bit is a bit like I designed this fabric and I used this, that and the other. But if you don't have her budget, you can 
you know, use her colours or use her size, you know, be guided by the different sizes of patterns she's put together as well as the colours. So uh, I think it's it, it's a really good sort of manual for that look. And actually, her style is a little bit busier than mine, shall we say, but I still found there was a lot of interesting knowledge that you could take away from it. In short, this is a great book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is definitely one to buy. Lots of jumping off points, lots of styling tips, lots of insights, lots of sourcing, lots of creative projects. And it's a very fast, easy read and something that I think would become a reference book, something you can dip in and out of. On to the next book, which is our old mate with whom we have done a house tour, Oliver Heath. Design a Healthy Home, 100 Ways to Transform Your Space for Physical and Mental Well-Being. I have thoughts. Sophie, what are yours? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to say, before Sophie has her thoughts, this is a reader. This is not a flicker. No, this is definitely a reader. And I think it's really interesting to highlight Oliver's background here. I mean, Oliver is someone who trained as an architect, then had an interior design practice for many years. But he's really devoted his life recently to the study of well-being and biophilia within architecture and interior design. And he's created loads of white papers and scientific studies. And he works with all kinds of clever bods within the profession. But it's always been on the non-residential front, if you like, uh, because he's seen that this area has always really pioneered this work. But he's deeply passionate about sharing this insight and this data with the rest of us lot so that we can apply it to our own homes and our own interior design. So it's a juicy read because it comes with oodles and oodles of experience and research. So it's less about the pretties. Having said that, I was surprised to see that there was still quite a lot about decoration, use of materials, use of colour, layout, light. I mean, it's all in there, but with the spin of it coming back to enhancing your sense of well-being. So he essentially, within his hundred ways, he looks at, obviously, as Sophie said, colour and pattern, light and sound, sleep, warmth, air, planting. You know, he takes every element that you might have in your house and shows you how you can improve it. And I've read most of this book. By the time of recording, I'm going to be honest, hadn't quite got to the end. That's a time thing rather than anything else. But I'm just going to give you an example, which which I took out of the book, which I think maybe kind of sums up how it works. So there's this sort of slightly terrifying sentence early on, which says you need to tune into your fractal fluency. <laughs> at which point... Are you not, are you point, not tuned into your fractal fluency, guys? <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm tuned into my fractal fluency. And, you know... I think there's a high chance Sophie's closed the book at this point and has had to go for a lie down. But read on, stick with me and the fractal fluency will be explained. Basically, it's about patterns in nature which we are hardwired to look at. Our ancestors would have looked at the cracks on the riverbed, the markings on the cave, the patterns on the leaf, the beehives and all that sort of thing. So it's it's natural patterns which occur in nature and it's about examining them. And Oliver says, and he's done all the research on this, that looking at these nature patterns can reduce your stress by 60%. So from there, it's an obvious step to try and bring some of these patterns 
into your home. And he then tells you how to do that with the sort of key proviso being, you've got to be a bit subtle about it. I mean, you don't necessarily want your kitchen to look like it's a snowstorm and all obvious snowflake patterns. But he's sort of saying, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but use kind of ripply patterns in the bathroom because that's water, that's relaxing. Use maybe leafy shapes and foresty shapes in the sitting room because that's relaxing, being in a shady forest and that will calm you down. And look at sort of cave patterns and formations in a bedroom where it's a more secluded area. So when he breaks it down like that, it does make complete sense with the proviso that, you know, you're not using a mural of a forest necessarily, but you're taking that notion of shapes and relating them to moods. And I thought that was really clever. And that, for me, sums up what this book is about. It's absolutely at the core of his book, the biophilic design approach. And I'm just going to lift a little paragraph from the book. He says, The biophilia hypothesis proposed by the biologist E.O. Wilson suggests that we have inherited all of this from our ancestors and our psychology is still very much adapted to seeking a connection with nature today. We might live in noisy, crowded, busy, geometric urban spaces, but we still benefit from interacting with nature and need to remember that we are very much part of it. And so this concept of connection to nature and be that your fractal fluency or be that the textures and the materials like wood and timber and stone and natural fabrics, he talks about touch and natural light. All of this is basically grounding us in a feeling of safety and security that essentially was inbuilt in us when we were cavemen and women, I'm guessing. That's what he's kind of saying. And even though our lives look very different than they did all those thousands of years ago, essentially that is where our happy place is, this connection to nature. That's kind of where we hung out for most of our evolution. And I think the point is that we now have to relearn it. It's one of those things that seems completely obvious when you say it out loud and even when you start flicking through the book, but but we do need to sort of relearn it. So I think, you know, you might go and sit on the sun lounger with Kit Kemp's book and have a bit of a flick through. I think this one, you probably need a sort of quieter space and a little bit more brain capacity because there's a lot that this book can teach you. And, you know, in short, I think it's absolutely worth knowing, but it is, it's more of a read. Yeah, but it's also been really beautifully broken down. This has got loads of illustrations and bullet points and the fact he's broken it down to 100 uh, points. Most of those points are made within a page. So again, I think it's cleverly done, a bit like Kit's book, actually. Again, it's a similar size. It's really broken down. The text isn't reams and reams. It's all very bite-sized. For example, I'm just looking at here, page 20. Create a private space. I thought, oh, Kate Watson Smythe is going to love this. You're all about the, you're all about the <laughs> private space. He says it's so important to take a step back and recuperate without interruption in the space where we feel safe and calm. And here are some tips: windows and natural light, views out to greenery, a timber-cladded wall or timber furniture, which makes the space feel warm and rich. Artwork, which contains your biophilic fractals, Kate. There uh, you go. <laughs> an immersive planting scheme. Uh, soft natural fabrics and textures, adjustable lighting, a scent diffuser. Oh, I've got one of those. Uh, carefully considered colours. There's a whole chapter on how you, you choose those colours to create the mood you wish. A lock on the door, he says, if you need it. And your favourite things to help you relax. And do you know what? I could just read that one page and already think, oh, yeah, there's a few things I can action there. Quite simply, implement them quite quickly and feel better about my 
home. Yes, I think that's also a really key point. You're not necessarily having to do masses of of DIY or rebuild your house or move house. You know, there are a lot of simple, easy tricks that he shows you within the whole book that you can just do straight away. I'm not sure if I'm going to action them, Sophie, or if I'm just going to do them. But yes, (laughs) lighting a candle. Are you off to action your scent diffuser now? <laughs> I might just light a candle. <laughs> and it's fair to say you said you didn't get to the end of the book, but um, point 81, I think pretty much the end of the book is all about plants. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so off to the garden centre, get yourself a few real plants, I'm sure, not the faux ones. And I think you're halfway there. So I think I mean, we, I'd recommend that book as well. I think it's great, but I think it's not necessarily one you're going to read in one sitting. I think you might want to dip in and out and learn as you go along. But there's masses in there and it's really good. It's definitely another one to take to the beach, unlike the third book on our list, which I've got currently on my knees. And I think it's in danger of stopping the blood circulation. It's so heavy. This is a book by the publisher Fiden, and it's called By Design, The World's Best Contemporary Designers. And before we continue, I must actually quite proudly declare an interest because those 100 best contemporary designers had to come from somewhere. And Fiden put together a group of nominators whose opinions they asked as to who should be in the lineup. And the list of nominators includes Carla Sozzani, who's the sister of Franca, who edited Italian Vogue, Rosa Park of Serial Magazine, Matt Gibbard, who's been on this podcast before of The Modern House, Michelle Gunderhin, Joa Studho, home of Farrow and Ball and moi, founder of Mad About the House London. And I can't tell you how thrilled I was to be asked for my nominees for this list. Now, not all of the ones I nominated made the final cut. What I think they did was a sort of cumulative as to who got the most votes out of all the nominators. So there are, of course, the old favourites, Kelly Wistler, Pierre Jovanovic, Ben Pentreath, and then Studio Ashby, who I nominated, Linda Borenke, Beata Hoyman, Brigitte Romanek in the States, Kit Kemp, Rita Koenig. So there's a real global list of designers. There are designers from Taiwan, from Korea, lots of British ones, French ones. So it's, it is a really great list. And... What guided them, if you read the intro, and I always love the intro to a Fiden book because it's always a sort of essay of of what's going on at the moment. And the thing they all have in common is experience. And that's not to say they're all old hands because some of them are very new and don't have that many projects under their belt, but they are guided by how the work they are doing will it affect the people who are in that space rather than the sort of guiding principles of the past decades, whether it was all about, you know, what was suitable for the space and it was all a bit static. And this generation is designing for people and not for the critics and not for their peers. So they're, he calls them sort of storytellers who are creating warm places and interesting places and bringing in craft and making it work for the environment and also sustainability and dreams and aspirations. So the resulting collection is really a very wide selection of contemporary designers. It's definitely one that anybody who wants to know about their interior design onions is going to have on pride of place. And the photography is just beautiful. The rooms are lovely. Like you say, it covers all different styles all around the globe. There's minimalism, there's maximalism, there's traditional, there's modern. 
it's just a great hurrah celebration of everything that's wonderful about the world of interior design. And the one thing I would say, and if the sound has changed, it's because I was under my duvet den, but I have basically <laughs> melted from the neck down. So I've had to come out for a breather. You're looking quite, shall I say, you're looking quite shiny, Kate. A bit flushed. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't go back in there, don't make me. So, you know, if it's gone a bit echoey, I do apologise, but, you know, needs must. Anyhow, back to the subject in hand. While it is obviously beautiful photography and you get sort of one, maybe two rooms per designer, what I think is useful in terms of it being a book you might want to buy is it does tell you a little bit about where the design studio or the individual came from and their route into design. And I think that's always really interesting to know. So Linda Boronke, who I nominated, who was the creative director of Soho House for a while, her mother was an antique dealer and her father sold vintage furniture, I think. So you you can see her background and also how that's reflected in her style. You know, the Soho homes are very much a collection of vintage furniture that fit with their surroundings. So that for me, there is things to read in there as well as lovely pictures to look at. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. You can always find us on Instagram, where I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors, and she's mad about the house. And our Facebook group is, surprisingly, The Great Indoors Podcast. want to talk about rattan because it's really come in again with the 70s revival those cheska dining chairs with the cane seats are massively popular at the moment and i know sophie you've been loving your granny's old rattan chairs but i have no rattan in my house as yet. Whoa, behind the curve, Kate Watson. Do you know what? Do you know what? I am so far ahead of the curve that I am coming back out the other side of it. Let's go with that. Well, it's an interesting trend. It's not super new, but I think it's just growing at a pace. I, you know, I think it's really interesting that we've decided to actually pick it apart and discover what the fascination with Wicker is. And I think on the high street, it does seem a wash with Rattan and Wicker and, and probably taking more inspiration maybe from that sort of 70s vibe. But I'd say from a design point of view, my kind of overarching word of caution right now is, while it's really fashionable and we're going to get into why it's also sustainable and brilliant and affordable and everything else, I think in terms of a look and a trend, don't overdo it. Do not be a pastiche of the 70s. I think if you have the the cane headboard with the matching bamboo side tables and then you have like the lampshade and then sort of like some hanging baskets 
oh, it's just too much and it looks really dated. In order to make rattan look edgy and cool, you just need, yeah, maybe it's a couple of vintage chairs, maybe it's a lampshade, maybe it's a, you know, rattan mirror, but stop there. If you overdo it, it starts to look like a pastiche, I think. I think that's possibly true of any trend, isn't it? But it's there is so much of it about. And as you point out, there's everything from sort of very expensive vintage Italian rattan to stuff you can pick up on Facebook Marketplace that's really cheap. So you can buy a full range at any price you want. Um, so there is obviously a temptation to use a lot of it. But I think essentially you don't want more than one piece or a matching pair unless it's in your conservatory. On the subject of budget, for example, there's the Buskbow chair, which is this really nice, curvy, cool cane chair at Ikea at the moment, £99. Or you can go over to Sewn London, get yourself a cane chair. Might cost you six grand. <gasps> <laughs> That's quite I a... did not know you were going to say that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's quite a wide breadth of budget. But obviously, you know, of course, we know that Sewn Britain, actually, I think probably perhaps Lulu Little, you know, who's the interior designer who heads up that brand, might have a lot to do with the popularity of this trend because she, about 10 years ago, bought one of the last remaining UK Rattan workshops in 2010 and Graves and saved it from administration. And I think, you know, obviously Lulu Little's known for her love of British craftsmanship. She's a really high-end interior designer, so it's only the best of the best of the best. But interesting that she rescued it, and this trend has really, really grown apace. You know, there's lots of cheaper options that obviously come from Southeast Asia and stuff, but I think it's quite interesting that this higher level of craftsmanship is still happening here in the UK. I'm just going to rewind in here because this is a question that, you know, we get asked a lot and, and always comes up. And that is, what is the difference between wicker and cane and rattan? Can you tell me, Sophie? Rattan? I know the answer. This is your test. OK, this is the test. Rattan is the material that comes from the rattan tree. And the wicker is the pattern, is a pattern that it's woven into that looks like wicker. And caning, again, caning, I assume, is like that sort of hexagonal woven thing that you get on furniture. Like my granny's chairs are cane woven. But I think rattan is the actual base material. Is that correct? You're nearly there. I'm, I'm going I'm to go B+. Plus. <laughs> I will tell you. <laughs> so, obviously... It started in Egypt in the tombs of Tutankhamun and all that, wrapped themselves up in rattan. Then the Romans liked it. There was in the 17th century, it came to Northern Europe. Basically, you're right. Rattan is a group of about 600 plants, most of which have got completely unpronounceable names. But its characteristic is it's a vine, it's strong, it's malleable, it's really quick growing, which makes it sustainable, and it's very low tech to work with. So that's rattan. Cane is the bark of the rattan. It's not as porous as rattan, so it's good for damper environments. And that's why you might see it wrapped around like more solid furniture, like a chair frame or a bed frame, for example. It tends to be more of an accent on a furniture, whereas rattan might be the whole thing. And wicker is anything made from woven plant materials. Ah, I was so almost there. Cane and rattan will always be wicker, 
but wicker is just the technique. So the way I understand it is that wicker furniture is made by taking these thick canes and kind of steam bending them into shape, sort of using wooden jigs or whatever. And then the thinner rattan strands, maybe from the vines, are soaked in water baths to make them really malleable and pliable. And then that's when they're then wrapped and created all these kind of like lovely shapes. And that's where you get that, yes, that sort of finer design. And then there's also the very famous old, it was British designer, Lloyd Loom. Oh, yes. That's paper though, isn't it? Well, exactly. And I think it's often referred to, it's kind of mixed up with the idea of rattan furniture, but it's basically paper wrapped around wire on a rattan frame. So that's another very sort of skilled technique. And the other reason why partly it's endured and why people like it so much is, of course, it's really easy to paint. (gasps) Yes. Doesn't have to be brown. Exactly. And obviously... Exciting. (laughs) Says Sophie, who's got two brown rattan chairs in her sitting room. But I, interestingly, I've never had any rattan in my house because, you know, if anyone follows me on Instagram, my sitting room, for example, is quite dark. It's kind of chocolate brown. And I just think, I don't know that a rattan chair is going to work in there. But if I painted it in a sort of dark green or a deep pink, then suddenly I'm thinking, oh... I'm in. I yes. haven't got the floor space, but I'm into the idea. Well, like I said, you wouldn't want to do that with your £6,000 chair, but if you picked up a vintage piece or something off the high street, you could absolutely just easily spray paint it. I think it looks nice if you, rather than chalk paint it, I personally think it looks nice if you use a gloss, a gloss finish. That just works better on the cane and it sort of brings out the shape and the texture. And also, I mean, my mother actually had loads of Lloyd Loom chairs, uh, which were so unfashionable in the 80s. She used to pick them up for a fiver or even find them by the side of the road abandoned. And we had them all for a while. And again, they carried on being unfashionable. We had too many of them and we got rid of them. (laughs) Oh, God. So we're moving, moving swiftly on to fashionable vintage rattan. I spoke the other day to Nat Tillerson, whose Instagram account is called Folly Chambre or Chamber, but uh, we'll put that in the notes so we can spell it. And she sells vintage rattan via her Instagram account and she sells it. It goes so fast that she hasn't even had time to set a website up and list the furniture on there because it's gone before she's got time, which I think tells you about how popular it is. But she gave me a few tips, which I thought were really interesting and I want to share with you. So she sells mainly Italian rattan, vintage rattan. And for her, she says that's the best. It's well made. It's heavy. It's often mixed with wood, which is, again, how you can make it work in in rooms that aren't necessarily garden rooms or bedrooms. And it will have really nice details on it. So there might be brass handles or brass switches in terms of the lights. So for her, that's the kind of best one. There's also a lot of French, which would be more cane. So if you think of those ornate vintage beds you might get, which are sort of very carved, but they might have cane headboards and footboards, that's also very sought after. And it's a slightly more delicate look, I think, than the, the sort of classic rattan. English, we, well, we've known, we've spoken about the traditional English. You know, you have to be careful. A lot of your sort of English rattan might be a bit mid-80s garden centre could be mass-produced. So you need to look a bit carefully if you're buying that. And then finally, because I know we have lots of American listeners, she pointed me to a US site. And again, pronunciation, I'm going to have to write it down. It's called Chirka Who, C-I-R-C-A-W-H-O, Chirka Who. And they sell 
vintage rattan, which is very kind of Hollywood Regency with a bit of vintage Palm Beach thrown in. And that's massively fashionable here at the moment. I don't know if they ship, but for our American listeners, you might want to have a look at them. I think there are two looks with rattan furniture and with the vintage collections, you're sort of evoking that glamour aren't you? And that kind of exoticism. I mean, I'm just like transported to the Riviera or I'm I'm on some tropical veranda, or maybe I'm taking tea on some English croquet lawn or in some fabulous conservatory. You know, those are the sort of connotations that I have with a lot of this vintage stuff. It just feels like, yeah, old Hollywood, old English country house, really glamour. And that is a look you know, just this whole nostalgic English country house look, it kind of feeds into that. But then you've got the other side of it, which is this kind of like 70s vibe, which we're seeing a little bit more on the high street. I mean, the Ikea Buskpo chair that I was telling you about has definitely a curvy, cool 70s vibe. It's a bit chunkier, isn't it? Yeah, chunkier, less decorative. They're more simple shapes, I suppose. And maybe go better in a more kind of, I don't know, an updated Scandi style interior rather than with your your chintz. I think the point is in summary that it's one of those things that's like a super hot trend at the moment, but it is a classic. So at the moment, it's got the sort of the white heat of fashion Instagram focused on it, if you like. But I don't think you have to worry about investing in it because, you know, it's been around for a long time. It may not be so sort of hotly in fashion in a few years, but it's a classic. So I think it's one, actually, it's it's safe to invest in a good bit of it because it will last. Yeah. And also, like I said at the top, You don't need too much of it anyway. Just invest in a couple of really gorgeous pieces, be that a lamp, a side table, a headboard, and leave it there. Now for our style surgery. And this week, we've got Jocelyn's Dracula Hallway. Hi, Kate and Sophie. My name is Jocelyn. I am originally from Reading, but now live in sunny California. Thank you for always giving very cheerful and inspirational advice. I have an interior hallway and staircase that has no natural light at all. And I'm wondering what I should do with it. I tried going dark, but my husband said it looked like Dracula's hallway. So any advice would be appreciated. Thank you so much. What I think is interesting with this is that Jocelyn's already preempted what is often the common advice with a hallway. You know, I think lots of us have small, dark hallways. Jocelyn lives in America. In It's a particular British problem, I think, the small, dark hallway. And we have often said that, you know, paint it dark because it will make the other rooms seem lighter. And if it's really dark and you can't bring in any natural light, you've got to embrace that. And Jocelyn's come straight in and gone, I don't want to hear any about that painting it dark. It's not going to work for me. Give me something else. So here we are. Who's got another idea, Sophie? (laughs) I have got quite a dark hallway. Well, it's a west-facing hallway, which means it's dark in the mornings and then it gets a bit of light as the afternoon sun moves round. And I've painted it a dark colour. It's called Lazuli by Zoffany. It's a very deep blue, but it's got a lot of red pigment in it. So it's a slightly purpley blue, which makes it feel a bit warmer. So I think this is all, you know, you can't just put all dark colours in the same paint tin. You know, you've got to think of your undertone. And so I've gone for something quite jewelly. And I have to say, I think it looks... 
looks rather magical. The other thing I've done to make it work is I've got light woodwork, light ceiling and a light floor that bounces the light in. And I've put blinds at the windows so I can allow lots of lots of natural light come in. And then I've punched it in the guts with this really bright rose pink. So I think it's not just about one colour in isolation. It's about your whole palette of colours that go together and then breaking it up with pops of bright artwork, lots of wall lights and down lighters. So it's the whole jamboree. It's not just about a paint colour. It's about how you pull the whole look together. So if a really, really dark colour isn't for you, I think you can still go bold though. I think Jocelyn's point was she's got no windows. So I think you've absolutely done, you know, your hall is great. It is a fabulous, dark, rich colour, but you've got a white ceiling. You've got a patterned blue and white floor. So that is bringing in slightly more light, but you have also got windows, which Jocelyn hasn't. So I think it, it's a tricky thing. I like the idea of using a strong colour, but maybe the thing to do, Jocelyn, would be to keep your floor and your walls pale. And maybe if you want to bring in some colour or pattern, you could wallpaper the ceiling or even paint the ceiling so that you've still got sort of light on, if you like, three of the four surfaces with the rest of the walls and the floor. And that will bounce the light around. And then the other thing is, can you position mirrors opposite any doors so that when the doors are open leading off your hallway, the light will hit the mirror and that will then bounce back out into the rest of the hall. And that will sort of do the job in, of a window as much as anything can replace a window but that I think will help. That's a nice idea but I think the thing is just you know before you go to the pale side Jocelyn I'm going to keep you to the dark side for a bit longer. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is with windowless spaces is it all becomes about the artificial light doesn't it? And that is where you can create the magic and I remember seeing a hallway that was lightless it was actually I think a landing Think of like hotel corridors, if you like, when they're done really well. And they're quite often painted dark. They usually have really jazzy flooring. Gloss painted walls can look super sexy, but it's all about the lighting. So it's usually like a little strip of very directional down lighters in the ceiling that puts a wash of light down the walls. And then again, if you're using a really rich colour, like my lazuli blue, for example, or you might do a really rich red or pink or just something with real depth of pigment, then that light that washes down the wall is going to really make it pop and come alive. You might also think about having wall lights or picture lights over amazing pieces of artwork that are going to really pop. So my point is, you know, if you've just painted it, you haven't gone the full hog. You've got to punch the interest in with the artificial lighting cleverly planned and executed. You know, get the artwork on the walls that has a white mount or a gilt frame or something that's going to really kind of like jump out against the dark background. Because my worry is if you go too pale, it can all just look a bit meh and a bit like a hospital corridor picture that oh 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 speaking as the owner of a very pale hall (laughs) I I can't let that go I can't let that pass some people some people don't want a dark hall all right it's not like a hospital corridor I'll see you after 
We will, we may be taking this off air. Anyhow, I think it's just as well we're recording by remote. As I was saying, from my very pale hall, which is painted in a kind of off-white milk colour, which I really like, you don't have to go that dark. Neither do you have to go that pale. The one thing I was going to say about pale colours and hallways is, of course, hallways are where you might be taking your shoes off. I don't know if you have pets or if you have children. You know, pale colours are going to show the dirt, which is why Sophie mentioned using gloss paint. It can be a really good idea to use gloss, perhaps just on the bottom half of the wall and use the same colour in matte above it, which will help bounce the light around. But there are, you know, you can have soft greens and blues and, and pinks. It doesn't have to be white or dark, as Sophie says, there are there are options. And the other thing you can do if you do want to have a kind of whitish hall is, again, you don't say whether you have a staircase or not, but my hall is basically white. I have a spotty staircase in burgundy and kind of ivory. And then I've painted the inside of the front door in a deep burgundy. So the two spaces are linked, but the actual accents of colour are quite small, if you like, and the overwhelming impression is one of light. I think basically, Jocelyn, you're the only one who can settle this fight. So make sure that you send us pictures when you've redecorated your hallway and let us know which way you went and uh, and how you resolved the problem. Because like everything in design, we can never agree that there's just one right answer. Well, and also I hope, despite our fight, that, you know, we've given you sort of pros and cons for light and dark and you can apply them to your own particular dilemma. Don't forget, if you've got a burning interiors question, then make an appointment with the style surgery. Just send an email and preferably a voice note to thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. That's it for today, but there will be more details, links and pictures over on the blogs, madaboutthehouse.com and sophierobinson.co.uk. And in the meantime, thanks to our sponsor, Geberit, who are Europe's leading bathroom manufacturer. Thanks to our producer, Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.